Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Gunzelcast. My name is Ray Carr, along with Jeremy Demry, our producer and director, and uh, the gentleman to my left-hand side, the great Carmen Angelo. How are you? I'm doing okay, Carmen. The question I have for you is, I know that last week has been probably the most difficult of your career, losing Mike Trevisano, um, your, your boss, your mentor, guy that is probably the greatest, uh, one of the greatest talk show hosts this city's ever seen. Um, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to say he is the greatest talk show host this city has ever seen. You've had the likes of uh, Gary D, Merle Paulus, Joel Rose, Pete Franklin. Um, one thing that Triv was that those guys weren't, and I respect them dearly. I mean, we all know Gary D was stern before stern, but Triv had the ability to talk world affairs and also talk suicide squeeze. Okay. Where those guys, um, you know, Gary D he was kind of a a shock jock. Pete Franklin focused mainly on sports and I grew up listening to Pete. That's the first time I ever heard Triv as Mr. Know-it-all one of his loyal callers. Um, Triv without a doubt in this market is the greatest of all time. He truly is the goat. This is a man and it shows you the greatness of our beautiful country. I don't agree with what's going on today, but our country is still beautiful. I'll forever be a patriot. What this country affords all of us, if we have the want, the desire, and the ethic to work hard, we can achieve anything we want. I mean, this country, the the roads, the streets are paved with gold. All we got to do is simply bend down and pick it up. Mike Trevisano started his professional career as a young man, as a uh, an apprentice tile setter. And then you fast forward to his time getting in radio. He went from a very laborious job physically to the pinnacle of major market radio. Yes, he did. That, that doesn't happen. He was a pioneer. Okay. He had no formal training in radio. He had no formal training in journalism. Heck, he would always say, I'm just a dumb dago with a 10th grade education from Cleveland's East Side. He was brilliant. I know. You know, the one thing about Mike, I listened to him for years, and you work right next to the guy. It was the common sense. It was the, the lack of BS. Uh, he could be funny, but he, was in, he talked to people. It didn't matter how much money you had, how much prestige. You could be, a, uh, as you said, a coal miner. Um, oh, you heard that today. Okay. Like, of course I heard it. All right. But, I mean, you know, you could be anything, a janitor. You could be a teacher. You could be uh, Mensa. It didn't matter to Mike. He talked Mike would talk to you all the same. And he was one of those kind of guys. You know, I, I got a call from um, Carmen, or actually an email from Carmen Policy. Uh, gosh, late Friday, Friday night, early Saturday morning. And I don't know if you heard, we had Carmen on today, former president and general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. Right, right, and right. Later I, I, did, president. I was working, doing something. I did not hear that. Yeah, and um, later served as the president of the Cleveland Browns when Mr. Lerner got the team and brought him right. back in 99. And he... Uh, had a great relationship with Triv. I said, you know, he could talk to the coal miner. Are you okay? Yeah. What's going on? Allergies. Allergies. Okay. Yeah. I thought uh, I had Alpo uh, breath manufactured by Alpo covering up your nose. But at any rate, like I said, uh, you know, with Mr. Policy, Triv could talk to the coal miner, the regular guy, the common man, um, the pipe fitter, um, the police officer, the firefighter, or he could have tremendous relationships with, Al Lerner, who was a multi-multi-billionaire and the founder of MBNA Bank and ultimately the owner of the Cleveland Browns. He could hit notes with 
every walk of life. And that's what made him so special. So uh, real quick, what made him decide to make the switch from just talking sports to be more politically forward? Well, what, what, what was the deciding factor for him on that one? Well, one thing about sports, Jeremy, you may not know, only 30% of the population truly is a sports fan. Out of that number, a small fraction listens or watches sports-related television or sports talk radio. That's kind of surprising. Yeah. I thought um, it was more. No, not, not a lot of people. Uh, and Triv, you know, initially when he came to WTAM, his show was called Sportsline. But he wanted to gravitate toward other things, and he had the ability to shift gears, to not only talk sports, but to talk um, things that were going on overseas, um, you know, current events that were happening, say, in Kosovo, um, or when those various conflicts uh, broke out. And that expanded his audience. And, you know, Triv always, he, he always played the dummy, saying he was just a dumb dago from Cleveland's east side, and he was a dropout at 10th grade. Let me tell you something. That man is among the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He, he was smart as a fox. Sometimes he may have spoken slowly, but he was always thinking fast, bro. I agree. You know, he, the only thing I didn't like about him, there's two things. Well, the only, only the real thing is he didn't like hockey. But it's- Well, he didn't appreciate hockey. I, and I, I didn't, you know, hold that against him. I mean... Number one, you got to know the rules. You got to know what offsides is. You got to know what icing is, and you got to know certain penalties. And he didn't. He 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 legitimately gave it a chance, and it didn't appeal to him. So many people, you know, especially in Europe, love soccer. I can't stand soccer. I agree. And I, know, I can't stand. I can't stand watching it. You know, I mean, we all have different tastes. He couldn't. Uh, he couldn't get into hockey. And I mean, most recently, probably two weeks ago, Ray, you heard us talking about it on the air. And I said, Trim, it's right up your alley. I mean, they're skating 25 miles an hour and they're just smushing each other into the glass and into the boards. And it's like, I gave it a try. And for so many people that don't know, like offensive breakouts, you know, when a D-man's got the puck behind the net, um, they're not looking at the center and the wingers and seeing what they're doing. They can't appreciate yeah. A breakout. Oh, right. The right wing will come to the middle and the center will go to the right wing. You know, you know, hit the guy with the quick pass and then they'll crisscross again. Oh, it never passed before the blue line. Take the puck in the zone, either fire it in or actually I sometimes you don't have time to stick handle in the zone. You got to dump and chase. Yeah. So well, that's typical North American hockey. When I was playing juniors for Saskatoon, that's what we did. We were a big time dump and chase team. Yeah. Oh, you were a you were a bruiser. Uh, Tiger Williams, man. Right. Two years in Moose Jaw. <laughs> uh, then I got traded to Saskatoon, and then they shipped me to, uh, uh, oh. where'd I go? The Brandon Wheat Kings after that. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course. Actually, I centered the power play with Joey Sackick. And it was quite a it was quite a team uh, you had This is there. all garbage. Do not believe what you know I'm what's saying. funny? <laughs> that there's probably three Europeans sitting around doing a podcast saying how they can't stand hockey. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, you're probably as right. As they go into their soccer talk. Sure. I'm yeah. sure there are. Well, you know, it's great when you got a guy that's in the corner, just last thing about hockey, you know, and then you can move the puck and then, you know, give a quick pass to the high slot. Guy fires a shot, hits the goalie, and then, of course, the scramble for the loose puck. I mean, and you got the, like, a guy like Jock Callender, who played with the Lumberjacks and the Pittsburgh Penguins, had the best hands I've ever seen. Not the best skater, not the best shooter, but the guy was right there. On the, on the, the best field. hands you've ever seen? Well, in hockey. Better than Yari Curry's? I mean, Yari Curry's in the Hall of Fame, right? I know, but I mean, the best I've ever personally watched. Oh, oh Personally okay. watched. I mean, in person. Right. I mean, Calendar was great. He was the all-time leading I scorer. I love Jock. Yeah. 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 
But I mean, Curry was at a different level, but I didn't get to see him play a lot. I saw him play all the time. Edmonton was always on TV when we were young. Yeah, but I, won- did, I didn't go down there. I say I was able to go down and, you know, and watch the Lumberjacks play almost every game. Yeah. And, and I actually worked out with him. Uh, they had a training camp before that, that. I used to go to Rocky River and skate with him. Hamilton Ice Arena. Yeah, right. Yeah, I used to work out with them. They let me, Jeff Christian uh, was, I, the, whole, oh, the whole team was there. So they let me skate with them a little bit. I used to work out with Jeff Christian. He was a good guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, hockey players, uh, and who was I telling this to? Just somebody recently. Oh, um, Coach Hyland, Tim Hyland, who we had on the podcast two years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Coach Hyland, great guy. Um, we were talking about uh, Rupper, uh, Mike Rupp. Um, he won, as a rookie, he scored the, the game-winning yeah. goal. In the games. Devils. Yeah. yeah. And he brought the Stanley Cup back to St. Ed's. I was there. I saw that. Okay. And then he took the hockey, St. Ed's hockey team to Mitchell's, and they ate ice cream out of the cup. Which is so cool, but um, I can't remember where I was. What's going the wildest that? story you guys have heard about the uh, Stanley Cup? Oh, uh, what some what some players have done with it? They have taken it, and placed it on the end of their bed, and had sex in front of it. Yeah, but it's it's the holy grail. They will never disrespect it. Never disrespect it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that has happened, Ray. Where that. you know it's been in, been in the footboard at the footboard, um, but they will never disrespect it. Yeah. It, it is the hardest trophy in all of sports sure. to win. Yeah. Old, oldest North American trophy. Yep. I have a lot of respect for hockey players. It's the, I think it's the toughest sport. And hockey players, they don't have cardboard hearts. They're not like Odell basketball Beckham. players. Well, Odell Beckham. Yes. Uh, great example. Um, it, one quick story. About six years ago, seven years ago, I'm watching the Columbus Blue Jackets. You talk about the toughness of hockey players. And uh, stop me if I said this. No, we were talking about it with Kenton Tagliata. Rich Peverly. Dallas Star. Right. I'm watching the Columbus Blue Jackets play the Dallas Stars in Dallas. All of a sudden, the puck is down in the corner, and the cameraman pans to both benches, and guys are waving towels and uh, banging oh. banging their sticks on the boards uh, to get uh, a stop to play. All of a sudden, Rich Peverly is picked up by two trainers. He had a massive heart attack. He died on the bench. They took him through the double doors. You see... They did close the double doors, but before they close the double doors, you see somebody run over to him as they lay him on the ground with the defibrillator. They brought him back. He was he regained consciousness, full consciousness in the ambulance. He looked around. He noticed where he was. He saw he was on a gurney. He had his skates on, and he said, what just happened? And they said, you just had massive cardiac arrest. And we had to bring you back. And he said, okay, where are we in the game? And they said, we're five minutes in. He said, what's the score? And they said, zero, zero. Said, take me back. Wow. Rich well, Beverly, God love him. Another, what, do you, what do you think? Um, to get, I guess, to get back on topic here, what do you think Trivisano's uh, legacy will be? Like, what do you what do you think he'll be most remembered? Well, certainly, he's the goat when it comes to broadcasting in this market. What he's going to be remembered for is how he improved the lives of impoverished. Uh, and needy children. Yes, without question. His philanthropic efforts, and I have been part of many of them, he helped so many kids that were born in situations they had no control over. Yep. He put coats on their back. He put food in their belly. Um, he, he just so giving. Um, people think he was this rough, tough guy. He was loud. He was boisterous. He had a mean streak. But you know what? At the end of the day, he was truly a child of Christ, and he 
he lived to help others. Mike Trevisano was the definition, the epitome of servant leadership and what he did to improve the lives of needy children. It speaks volumes. That is, in my opinion, what is going to be his greatest legacy and the biggest effect he's had on Northeast Ohio. I cannot disagree. Uh, anybody that would work to help kids to make their lives better and give himself, he had the luxury of having enough money where that, you know, he didn't have to keep making money where people like you and me have to always work. We cannot take the time to do what he did. And he's blessed to have that, that cushion to do that. So, and he took advantage of it and he did as much good as you can possibly do. I mean, when you're on a 50,000 watt stick, sure. you've got a tremendous platform. And he was able to rally everybody. And the good thing about it was he could talk to Matthew Figgy, okay? Or he could talk to a small business owner that wanted to just, you know, maybe give 250 bucks, 500 bucks. Matthew Figgy would come up fire and yeah. he'd scratch off a check for 250K, you know? And he just, uh, I miss him dearly. This last week has been like a bad dream. Right. My heart goes out to his family. Must certainly be devastated. Tammy, um, little Michael, um, Colin, Anthony, Michelle, and his grandchildren. And uh, my heart also goes out to um, Seth. Seth has taken this incredibly hard. And certainly my thoughts and prayers are with our our expansive audience. I mean, people looked at Triv as if um, he was a brother or an uncle, and they couldn't wait to tune in to him every single day. But unfortunately, it's no longer. Good Thank you. And there, yeah, uh, um, we get- we're going to take a momentary break, but we want to introduce our, our next guest. His name is J.M. DeBoard. Jason, how you doing? Ray Carr, I'm doing great, man. Long time no here. Yes, it's great to have you on the program, uh, J.M. You're a guest here on the Gunzel Cast, along with Carmen Angelo from WTAM and Jeremy Demry. Um, say hi to our our panel here. Hi guys, how yeah, are you? One of you is uh, D1 Wrestling. Uh, no, no, he's he's not here tonight. Actually, Kent Intagliata was that gentleman. He is not able to be here tonight. He's out of, out of the country, but he'll be back. Uh, I think next week. But, but <laughs> Jay, uh, Jay, let me tell the uh, the guest and everybody listening what you do and who you are. You're not just the everyday okay. run of the mill um, author. You're a man that has taken the words and taken those words to mean something. Like you've written a book called Dreams One Two Three. Live your dreams, and those uh, that book introduced me to what do my dreams mean? You know, like there's symbols, there's things that go on in a dream that um, signify something that they're telling me something, but I didn't know what they were telling me. And then your um, interpretation and your um, tutelage was able to help me uh, find what, what what things that I you know I need to know. Then you wrote the book in 2017, Interpretation Dictionary: Symbols, Signs. And meanings, and that was a, a huge book. And that's uh, you were on George Nori. You've been on a lot of different shows. So let's tell our audience a, a little bit how all that came to be. Well, it came to be because I discovered that there was actually meaning to dreams, and that it could be something that helps you in your life to grow and to heal, to advance yourself, to better yourself as a person. 
um, I, it was almost revelatory for me. You know, I, before then, and this was in my early twenties, I was probably like most people and that, you know, you kind of heard of people like, Oh, Sigmund Freud, he has this theory that, you know, about the meaning of dreams. And, you know, there's this thing called an Oedipus complex and, you know, uh, be careful about those phallic symbols because you never know when you're going to slip on that, you know, uh, into that territory. Well, it, you know, I, I discovered that there was so much more to it that, there was a way of understanding dreams that was uh, uh, very, it, it could be very personal for you. And by putting your effort into uh, understanding the dreams and and then taking the messages from them and applying it to your life, that there was a lot that you could get out of it. So that began me on what's now almost a 30-year journey to really understand what dreams are, what they're for, and then how to use them for our benefit. Yeah. You know, like anything else, if you learn a skill, you want to learn it because it's going to do something for you. You don't go to the, you don't spend hours working out in the gym because you have nothing else to do. You know, you do it because there's a benefit that you're going to get from it for, you know, for your health, for your appearance. Um, and so that's what I found with dreams is that it's a skill that you can develop and it's not as hard to understand as it's made to seem. You don't have to be right. a psychologist or a guru. You just have to pay attention to your dreams and know some simple steps and some simple right. facts about them, which is what I teach in my books. Jay, I'm, all right. I don't know if this is a di- digression of sorts, but I was married to a young lady, and this is no joke. She had a dream, and I guess when you have a dream, as you said, you got to um, take the goodness from it, or if it's a bad dream, you know, realize that indeed it was just a dream, but. Uh, my ex-wife had a dream, uh, my right hand of the Lord, that I cheated on her. Now, she was mad at me, truly mad at me, for about three months. My uh, life was miserable. I mean, is that just uh, the person? Or, I mean, how hard is it to let go of a dream, good or bad? Well, you know, the dream seems like a real experience as you're experiencing it. It's real to you. And so for her, it really felt like it was something that had happened. And this is where some basic knowledge of dreams really helps people in general when they have a dream that could lead them to um, harm a relationship because they misunderstand the dream. You know, um, usually what cheating in a dream indicates is either an alternative definition of the word, such as when you cheat, you're playing the game unfairly. You're gaining an unfair advantage. You're doing something that's underhanded. And here's the other thing is most of your dream characters reflect you, not them. So it can mean that she was, let's say, for example, that she was doing something in the relationship that she knew was unfair and was bothering her her, her conscience, but she projected it onto you as a character to play out in the story because you're the person who's in the relationship with her where she is cheating in the sense of doing something that's unfair. It can also reflect the person's insecurities. What are the reasons why people cheat? Well, oftentimes it's because there is something that is lacking in the, the person they're in the relationship with and they go seeking it somewhere else. So it becomes a basis of insecurity. So it sounds to me like she totally misunderstood the dream. Now, in about, I'll just say for uh, for sake of example, about one out of 20 dreams that I have encountered uh, with the theme of cheating, and I've hundreds, has 
reality behind it. There was uh, one uh, uh, woman who came to Reddit work, the moderator Radal at the Dream subreddit, um, that she had an experience. She dreamed that her friend of five years had was cheating on her. She woke up from the dream and told him about it. And she said that he blew her off and there was something about it that stuck with her. Asked him about it later with this, this creepy feeling that it, that dream was more real than real. And he fessed up that he was actually cheating on her. Wow. So her dream put together something, either uh, something that she knew subconsciously. Like when people, you know, when something's wrong in a relationship, you can start to sense it off of the person. You may not know what it is, but you start getting these little clues and little signs. You don't have all the information you need, though. So your mind can start filling in the blanks, which can be another reason why you dream of a, you know, like, oh, my significant other has been distant from me lately. I wonder why. Ha, huh, maybe he's cheating on me or maybe she's cheating on me. And that's what the presumption is that's brought into the dream space and then turned into a story. But every once in a while, you're actually picking up on things that are, it's, it's information that you've, you're kind of pulling the ends and tying them together and realizing what's really going on. And, but those dreams are very rare and it sounds to be like you got the short end of the stick. Now I was on, um, I was on a, um, uh, XM radio broadcast where a guy told me, or actually it wasn't him. It was his wife. And she told me that in the middle of the night, uh, he reached over and grabbed her around the head and started yanking her. And he was in a dream and he was saying, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. He was dreaming that he was playing basketball and his wife's head was the basketball. And she, she thought that he was acting out something like, you know, like some kind of passive aggressive hostility toward her. And I had to assure her that people can, you know, these are called parasomnias where you act out the, you know, cognitive dream in a physical sort of way. It usually doesn't happen because your nervous system is muted. Uh, so that it doesn't act out the content of your dreams. But there can be some times when these things happen and um, you're actually you're actually fully dreaming. I mean, you know, he, it was hard for her to believe that her, uh, you know, that he could be dreaming that her head is a basketball. Well, um, that's true. But, hey, uh, hey you know. GM, I just want to let you know, we're having a little bit of trouble with the connection here. Is there any way we can use a different telephone line? You know, um, I, yeah, I can get inside here, uh, get off a, uh, on Google voice. I can call you back in a couple minutes. Yeah, and, let's uh, do that. We we'll just take a little break sure. and we'll have you call Just call us right back. This podcast is brought to you by Gunzelman's Tavern. For more information, go to gunzelmans.com. Or if you'd like to place an ad on this podcast, go to gunzelmans.com and enter the contact us section and please enter your information there. All right, back to the show. Okay, we'll do. All, All right. right, thanks, Ray. Well, in, right a, in the meantime, okay. we we do have a um, we do have a, a new sponsor. By the way, I did it's a partial sponsor, but they're uh, willing to give us some uh, you know, a little help with the podcast. ABC Lettering. They do all embroidery. They do T-shirts. They do my T-shirts. Uh, fantastic. Located at one three seven two seven Madison Avenue, Lakewood. Their telephone number is two one six three two one eight three three eight. They're right next door. To Angelo's Pizza. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very familiar with that. Our good friend, a graduate of St. Ed's, Mike Martin is the owner. Mike Martin. Um, he knows nope. you. He knows you very well. 
Gosh, I've had a lot of don't say that. He does. He says he's a big fan of yours. Oh, uh, I mean, I don't. He doesn't. We don't personally know one another. Well, no, but he went to Ed's. Okay, what year? I would think eighty-two or eighty-one. Okay, so he went to school. With my brothers, yeah, my older brothers, older than you are. Okay, and then I ran into a guy. Um, he owns Nick's Pizza on Clifton, and the owner's name is Phil, and he knows you very well. So the owner's old, sixty-three, a little bit older than I am. Mm-hmm. He says, um, you know, I, I do a podcast. I was telling with Carmen Angelo. Oh yeah, Tedesco, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's Phil's last name? I don't know. I don't. Well, know don't him. tease me. Well, he owns Nick's Pizza over on uh, on Clifton. Nice guy though, really nice guy. So he he knows all the people I know from softball and all you know that little world is of mm-hmm. when Pyramid Cafe and Holy Name with you know the great softball teams of the seventies. That little world that my dad was in yeah. and I was in with him. We were talking about all that crazy stuff. Is so, he called back? No, he will. He will. We'll call back on a Google number. That's a lot clearer. But uh, yeah, just uh, you guys have questions about dreams. I've already talked, uh, spoke to him. I, I do have uh, a question about yeah, dreams. Got a few myself, Go ahead. So. Yeah, you guys take it over because he was on my overnight show. He was on for three hours with me. One time. Wow. Just we, we talked. We took calls. It was great. Did, well, he made your dreams come true, huh? Yes, like Hall and Oates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Gladdy and I, uh, for my 21st birthday, he made me uh, a special little dinner. Uh, um, like an angel hair and a cream sauce with shrimp. And then we went and saw Holland Oats out at um, Blossom. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. It's a lie. <laughs> that well, never happened. Yeah, but I, I, I was going to see, you know, I can't go for that. <laughs> yes. You know, I just went and got a new pair of glasses. Not these, but I did order a new pair. Well, I was going to say whoever bought you those. Uh, no, no, these were good at one time. They, I had to fix them. They were broke. but So I bought a new pair just the other they day. They were broken, not broke. No, they broke and then I broke them again. Oh, I thought you said they they were broke. No. They were broken. They, there I, you go. That was the proper no, grammar. No, I broke. They they broke. Then I broke. They were broken again. So many times, three times they were broken. How we digress. So my go medical, to Lakewood Optical. That's where I go. Well, I went to this other this other place that has an owl as their mascot. I've had a lot of concussions. Should I right. know this? Yeah, yeah, I don't. I'm not following you either. Well, no, no. They they're to call America's best. Oh, that, that's their logo. Is an owl. It's a it's an owl. Yeah, an owl. Yes, because the. They they love the they play the who there all the time. All right, I played I played says yes yes yeah. right. I played yeah. t ball for the Owls in the Fairview Rec League. Yes, you did. Yeah, long long time ago. My cousin played for the Oaks. The Oaks in Fairview. Yeah. Wait a second, Oaks. They had blue jerseys with white lettering. Yeah. Yes. yes okay. Oaks. All right. Anyway, I at the end of all, well, the, you're yeah you're the Hall's cousin. Yes. All right. I'm putting two and two together here. I'm the one that didn't get now. I can't go for that. <laughs> Well, I was going to finish the joke here, Carmen. At the end of the transaction, and I, she gives me the receipt, and I go, wow, you guys really are looking out for me. Yes. <laughs> and she, and she didn't say anything. Yes. She, she starts laughing about five minutes later. She just got it. Yeah. I said, you're very obtuse. It's you, right? <laughs> Ray's like Art Modell. He laughs at his own jokes. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Art Modell? Yeah. I do remember Don't Art Don't call Modell. me Art Modell. Art Modell bought my first wife's, my first ex-wife's right. um, wedding ring. All right. Um, here we go. Back with J.M. DeBoard. Hi, J.M. Hey, Ray. Hopefully the um, uh, connection is better this time. It sounds much better. I'm going to thank you for being on the Gunzel cast. Uh, Jeremy Demery is our producer and director today. I am Ray Carr, along with the great Carmen Angelo from WTAM Radio. Carmen's got another question for you. Right. Or, excuse okay. me, uh, J.M. Hey, how are you, J.M.? Um, Hey, I'm great. Thank you. About once a year, 
I've been sober now by the grace of God for 28 years. Well, once a year, it seems, I have a nightmare that I'm loaded or I'm driving drunk or something really, really bad. And it's a good thing that I immediately, every time I have this dream, I snap up, I wake up immediately and I realize, okay, I look around, it's just a dream. This is not reality. Um, number one, I... Uh, what what does that tell me that I continue where I have these you know recurring dreams on a, you know, on an annual basis? Well, there's one possibility, and I've seen this before in the dreams of people who have given up um, an, an addiction. Is it's kind of a gut check to find out where you're at in your sobriety. Do you still want that? Do you want to be on that path still? Oh hell yeah! When I when I've encountered people who um, are, especially when they're in the early days of recovery, um, they'll have dreams where they're presented with the opportunity, like there's their dealer and they, you know, they have the opportunity to buy drugs. And next thing they know, they're stuffing their pockets, you know, or they're making the purchase or, you know, they've, they've quit alcohol, but they've walked past their favorite bar. And think of it as a scenario that is there like a simulation that says, is this what you want? And, if it's not, then in the dream, you respond that way, like you did in your dream. If you ever have a dream where you're in the same scenario and you decide that, well, maybe it would be okay, you know, maybe this isn't so bad, then you that, that, that would be a real gut check for you to make sure that you're okay in your sobriety because things can start happening in the background of your mind that are changing and that is, could lead you back onto a slippery slope again. Well, you but know, you have the opportunity in the dream space to have to get that check-in on what's going on deeper in you. But there could be something else that your dream is using it as a sort of, uh, as a comparison. This is what dreams usually do is they take, um, they'll take an idea, a scenario, something that you're more familiar with usually, and then compare it to something to help you to understand what's going on inside of you. And one way, one thing that could be is like, think of what happens in the dream scenario, you're getting out of control you're starting to make bad decisions. So that would be the first thing I would do waking up from a dream like that is I would go, is there something that's been happening recently in my life that reflects the idea of being out of control or making bad decisions? And if that doesn't ring a bell with you, then also gut check yourself and say, am I strong in my sobriety right now? Or is there signs of weakness that are being brought to my attention? And maybe there's something I can do about it now before things get out of hand. Could it be a simple case that every night when I thank the Lord for another sober day, um, that that is in my subconscious, knowing that I completed another sober day and it leads me to that dream? That's my last yeah. thought, essentially, yeah. before I go to bed. Yeah. Um, off we The content of our dreams, where our dreams pick up, tend to be with the last, last thoughts that are on our minds before we go to bed. Those early dreams are usually forgotten. But if they make an emotional impact on you or they have an important message in them, then they can carry through to the morning in your memory. You, you dream a lot in an average night and you go through phases of sleep that use different types of dreams. Some of them are more thought-like and some of them are more existential or um, experiential. They're, it's like being a participant in a movie. You walk into the dream and now you're in this incredible story and you're an actor thrown right into the middle of it. So it depends on where the dream is happening in the sleep cycle and how much impact that it has on you. But in short, yes, the, the dream could be reflecting the last thoughts that were on your mind before.
said, and it's a reminder of where you've been so that you will continue saying, that's not where I want to be now. Yeah, I don't want to go Do back there. you understand what I mean? Absolutely. I don't want to yeah. go back there. That's why I wake up literally almost sweating and scared, you know, crapless. I mean, you know, I got so many, you know, by the grace of God, so many years um, under my belt, and it literally shakes me out of my sleep. Well, I think that's your subconscious telling you that you're doing great, stay on the straight and narrow. Yeah. yeah. You're not letting your guard down. That's what it's showing you, I think. I, I, I take a sigh of relief, JM, when I realize, when I look around and realize, all right, I'm in my bed. Okay, this is not real. So I guess that's a huge positive. So I have Although a... I would... Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just I was just going to say there's a there's a thing about dreams not being real, and I I would suggest that they're they're real as you're experiencing them. Oh yeah. You don't know that you're you don't know that you're dreaming as you're experiencing them, which makes them an experience. So when you wake up from it, no, it's not real in the sense of this is not your waking life, but there is a reality to it that you experience during the dream, and that's why it carries that. With that, when you have a powerful dream, it shakes you up. That's why it carries over into your, you know, daytime world uh, because it was such a powerful experience, and it was powerful because you believed it was real as it was happening. Now, I had a dream recently uh, where I was talking with two comedians, in which, like, uh, outside a club that I normally work at, um, we were both having this conversation. It begins to rain, but it only rains on me. And then I have to go and explain to the guy who books the shows. Uh, I have to leave to change my shirt because I'm my shirt got wet. I can't perform in a wet shirt while another comedian sits at the bar, uh, basically calling me a coward for wanting to leave to change my shirt. Uh, what what like my question is really is like what kind of symbolisms or like what are certain things that people have or common things in which they have dreams of uh, signify certain things? Well, I would start with the, you know, there are symbols in dreams and then the dreams are also telling you stories. And the thing that I would, with your dream, let's start with there with that specifically is the, the thing that stands out to me is the guy who is mocking you in the dream. Most dream characters represent aspects of ourselves. And it, when he is in that, with that character in that scenario suggests the idea that there is something inside of you that is feeling like you're not prepared when you walk on the stage. You're not prepared for a performance. Even if you're not, the, even if you're not a comedian. Right. Even if you don't go on stage, you still perform in your life. There are times when the lights come on and you're there in the spotlight. And I have found a sort of insecurity that can come out in people who have to play that role where they it, it comes out in their dreams as a sort of scenario where they're not ready or they don't get the response from the audience that they're expecting um, or something along those lines that basically shows um, insecurity of there could be even something like, you know, have you ever had the person who is their, you know, somebody who is their own worst critic? Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, you're there's something in the background <laughs> of their mind. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the idea there is there's something in the back of your mind that's talking to you 
and counter uh, it's it's a counter voice to sort of your waking ego self and it's it's there kind of trying to puncture holes in you and this means that you have kind of an inner opponent and it's one of one of the ways to deal with something like that is to um is to give it the space to talk to you freely you know like it I, I imagine there could be like let's just say someone like a Jerry Seinfeld who's very successful at you know at comedy he could have something in the back of his mind that is driving him can you imagine Jerry waking up from a dream and going you know I'm not very funny you know but then he ends up turning it into a joke it's something that drives him in a way that uh, that it's almost like constantly reality testing for him so that he's always bringing his A game because if you have just one day where you're not bringing your A game then it, and it's in front of the wrong audience, then that could be the beginning of the decline of your career. So there's some people who have to live on the edge like that, and they they well, motivates them. Themselves. It motivates them. Yeah, it, it basically. But I would also be careful of um, allowing that voice if it if it has too much shadowy space inside of your mind to work from. It can also become a saboteur. So that's why you want to allow it to. It's like. Tell, give me your worst. You wouldn't fight it. You say, give me the worst. Tell me what's really up. Give me, you know, tell me what you're thinking about this and speak freely because I want to hear it. And then you can decide objectively whether it's true or not, but you are at least you're allowing it to speak to you in a more conscious sort of way so that it doesn't have to take over your dream to get its moment to, you know, in front of the bike to talk to you. Now, uh, now what, the second, go ahead. Go ahead. You wanted to talk about you wanted to talk about symbols too. So yeah, uh, that's, if there was a second part of the question. I'm ready for you. Yeah, that was. I was just going to reiterate that. So that part of the question. You know, there are there are common ways of understanding dream symbols, and people write dream diction. I wrote a dream dictionary, right? And in a lot of it, it, it it's like okay, you dream about you're you're in a car. You know, you dream about a house. It can mean certain things. And there are commonalities between what those symbols mean in the dreams of people everywhere. And you can kind of find that, that overlap and write about it. But dreams are also very personal and can draw from experiences that are very personal. And there's no way for an author to know what your dream symbol means to you. But there are ways of teaching people how to figure it out for themselves. And that's why I wrote a dream interpretation dictionary as opposed to a dream dictionary because in the each of the entries, the symbols that I talk about in the book, I give recommend I give ideas about how to figure out the meaning of it for yourself. You know, I have a few dream dictionaries on my shelf that I use here as references. And one of the things that I don't like about them is is that they'll say, Well, you know, a car can mean uh, control. It it's Speaking to the amount the control that you have in your life or of yourself. And I go, you know, in my experience of dreams, that's very true. But I understand the theory behind it. Somebody who's reading a dream dictionary who doesn't understand the theory isn't going to understand the reason why a car could mean control in a dream. And the reason for it is because you control a car. You use the steering wheel and the pedal. And you can control the speed and the direction. So the person behind the wheel is the person who's in control, right? 
So it, this is the thing that's often missing in sources that teach about dream symbols. And they don't teach us the things that can be very personal, that are in, that are, the dream symbols can be very personal to you based on your experience. Like maybe your car is a clunker and you're constantly having to pour money in. So when you dream about your car, you're actually dreaming about something that you're holding on to long after its expiration date. You know, that's why the car is a clunker, because you should have, you know, for one reason or another, you you won't get a new one. Maybe it shows a tendency to hold on to things long after their usefulness has expired. So what the dream is actually showing through the symbol is something that's very different from the idea of control or movement in your life which are common ways of understanding, you know, the car is a symbol. And it's actually pointing towards a very personal association that there's no one in the world other than you who would know it. And that's why you need someone who can teach you how to figure out your dream symbols for yourself. Now, when you went to go find out, like, what particular things mean, uh, like, so, so say, for instance, like somebody's teeth falling out, oh, that symbolizes such and such. What what were you exactly referencing to figure those types of things out for your the dream dictionary? Yeah, oftentimes it's the use and function of something, and the dreaming mind picks up on it and then tells stories about it. So you use teeth, for example. Now, what do we use our teeth for? We use them to chew. Well, here's a dreams often use figures of speech and metaphors. So I would do, the first thing that you would ask is. Is there the action of chewing going on or the idea of it? And does it mean something like chewing on your thoughts or chewing on your words, chewing on an idea? But teeth are also part of your personal presentation. You smile and there's your teeth. So now we have a whole set of associations that are involved with that idea. The things that you say and the way that you say them, the way that you present yourself, fears about maybe like, um, here, okay, here was an example. There was a, a woman who, um, she had a, a new boyfriend, and he, she knew that at some point he was going to be meeting her friend. So in her dream, she's there with her friends and her new boyfriend, and they're all at this, like, you know, uh, uh, nice restaurant. And he's sitting there and just looking gorgeous, you know, because she, she was very, he was a very handsome man, and she, you know, was very proud of the fact that her boyfriend was, you know, very good looking. And in the dream, he opens his mouth and he's, it's a train wreck in there. Oh. And then she's just like really embarrassed, right? So she's like, well, what does this dream mean? And what we discovered was that she knows that he, that he can sometimes say things that, that are embarrassing, but he doesn't even know that he's saying, he doesn't even realize that it's embarrassing. But she knows that if she, he is around her friend, that they're going to pick up on that. So he has a habit of putting his foot in his mouth. Mm. And so this is what the dream is really saying when he's got that train wreck and, you know, teeth uh, missing and cracked and, you know, all nasty looking and everything. What it's really saying is, is that there's a difference between appearance and reality. And it's expressing her fear that when he does meet her girlfriend, that he's going to say something that embarrasses her. Mm. And he's going to do it and not even know that he's doing it. So that's there, the, the use of, that we use things for, like hands hold, right? And if you have a dream about holding on to something or even just a, a reference to the hand, it can, it can actually have that idea to it. Like a hold on yourself. 
do you have a grip on your emotion? Do you, do you have a, a grip on the idea? Right. I'll give you a quick example. There was a, a woman who had a dream that there was this really bad guy that had her cornered and forced her to cut off her own hand. And so she feels like she doesn't have any choice. So she like takes an axe and hacks off her own hand. And there's, you know, now it's like this scene out of a horror movie, you know, blood spurting everywhere. And then she goes and asks her dad for help. Now, I thought that was an odd reaction, right? It's a dream and anything can happen. But when you make those kinds of reactions in dreams, there is something going on subconsciously. And as a dream interpreter, if you can connect A with B and understand what is hidden, then you can understand the dream better. Maybe she was trying to reach out to her dad for help. You know, maybe that was a cry for her dad to pay more attention to her. Which is a good hypothesis. This is, and what we what we discovered is, is that hands are used to take action. There, if I say I'm going to call Ray Carr, I pick up my phone and I start pressing buttons. These are my hands that are being used to take the action. Mm. She has a problem being able to take actions for herself, and who does she rely on? She relies on her dad. Dad always comes to the rescue. Dad pays the car insurance. Dad helps her when she doesn't have the rent. You know, if she's having difficulty with someone and, and she can't handle it herself, right. she calls dad. He's the crutch. She's over she's over reliance on him and she's giving up her own power. So that's when she when she cuts off her own hand, she's taking the action in the dream, even though she feels like she's under threat. The dream creates a scenario where there's a bad man saying, You know, you gotta cut off your hand. But she goes ahead and she does it. You know, she plays along with it. it maybe there's a gun to her head. I don't remember exactly, but there was, you know, she, the, the important point is, is that she is taking the action, which reflects in her own life that she is the one who's the source of her own problem. So that's when, when you look at something as a symbol in a dream, you begin with asking, what is its use and function in ordinary life? And then how does the dream tell a story around it? And then how does that relate to the person? Right, right. What are the parallels between the dream right. symbol and the person? You're listening to the Gunsel cast. Yeah. Our special guest is J.M. DeBoer. J.M., before we um, continue on, just uh, your books. Let's let people know where they can get your books. Sure. I was going to say, Ray, you can probably educate him in this because you've had me on your show at least 20 times and we've talked for hours about dreams. So um, you, uh, you can fill in the rest for me. Um, but in the meantime, if anyone wants to learn my system of dream interpretation, Look up Radal's, uh, Radal's Crash Course in Dream Interpretation. It's in print, ebook, audiobook. I actually recorded it myself. And the, it teaches in 100 pages or about three hours my three simple facts and three simple steps about dreams. And it can get you started interpreting your dreams. It uses demonstrations. Some of these examples that I've just given, the book is packed full of these examples so that you can see you can take the idea, the learning material, and then immediately see how it's demonstrated, and then wake up the next day and start interpreting your own dream. Wow. So jmdeboard.com is the place to go to find it. J-M-D-E-B-O-R-D.com. And I'm, you know, I'm, my books are everywhere. I'm professionally published. So, you, should, you, you know, you, you can probably have. find it at your local bookstore, or Amazon, or Barnes & Noble, or whatever. Right. So, Jim, yeah, we, we have to wrap up the uh, we have to wrap up the show right now, and I'd like to say that we'd like to have you back on again to um, maybe continue the, the dream um, you know, format here. 
Yeah, and just sure. Uh, there's a lot of dreams about sports and stuff that is there's they're very um um there's great dreams. Since you guys, I know that you guys are into sports, and that's what you talk about often on your podcast. You know, um, at least I think you do. That's what I look. Well, at it's, it's kind of all over. I mean, we we do talk about sports, but we also talk about many other many other things that you know are not sports related. So it's kind of a great, you know, everything. Yeah, okay. just to uh, wrap this conversation up a little bit, what would you say would be like? The overall thing that you would tell somebody that like what how how to in uh, how to approach their dreams or what they think about once they have them. The first thing that I teach my students, and when I say students, I I have people I, I teach them how to interpret dreams, and that's at dreams one two three dot net. Um, at online courses, and I do also workshops and seminars and stuff like that. And when I have people who are are beginning from you know they're they're, they're beginner students, the first thing that I teach them is that they already know what their dreams mean. Now, do you know why that's a true statement? No, I don't. It's because you create your dreams. So somewhere in your mind, you must know what they mean. Mm. They're not being beamed into your head from another source. You are actually subconsciously creating your dreams, which means that you really understand somewhere deep inside of yourself what they mean. And when you interpret a dream, everything that you do, and there's all kinds of great techniques and you know, uh, methods and stuff like that. But it all, in the end, leads you back to trying to remember what you already know. And this gives you the power to interpret your own dreams because it also tells you that if you're if you're creating your dreams and you understand subconsciously what they mean, it also means that you're really the only person who knows what your dreams are because you've created them. Sometimes so we don't want to realize what they are. I mean, sometimes we may know, but we don't want to face what the reality is. That is that I would say about half the time that's true. And the other half of the time it's that it's new material that is emerging in you and you don't understand it yet because you're not familiar with it. It's new aspects of your personality and character that are emerging out of the unconscious mind. And when you understand what the unconscious mind is and what it's for, it's also right. the dream theater, the place where the dream takes place. And that part of the education also really helps you to start understanding your own dream and yourself a lot better. JM, let's keep it right there. Let's stop right there and let's uh, try to pick this up uh, in the near future. We'll have you back on the Gunzo cast again. And um, uh, on behalf of my, my team, um, Carmen, uh, Angela, who had to, um, had to catch a flight. So we had to leave a little early. Uh, Jeremy Demery, our producer and director and myself, Ray Carr. Thank you taking the time to talk to us. It is my pleasure. Thank you. For, it's great to catch up with you, Ray. Uh-huh. And um, I'll, I will be back sometime when you're ready for me. Yeah, I'm going to call you off the air here. I got to talk to you about a few other things, but thank you again, sir. Okay, very good. Take care, guys. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to the Gunzel Cast, another edition right here. My name is Ray Carr, along with Jeremy Demery, our producer and director extraordinaire. And for Carmen Angelo, we will see you on the next edition of the Gunzel Cast.